Hey, hi, welcome to our limited series podcast. A pastor and a rabbi walk into a cultural crisis where we discuss the climate of what's going on uh, in our country and in our world today, specifically as it applies to racial tensions. And so uh, my name is Scott Eastman. I'm a pastor at Life Church, the downtown pastor for Life Church. Joining me today is my friend, Pastor Sean Hennessy, uh, the teaching lead senior pastor at Life Church. It's always changing, I feel like. And then and then my friend, Rabbi Boss. Matt Rosenberg. Right. And so, so glad that you guys are here. This is our third episode in our limited series. We're glad that you guys are here. We're just going to jump right in, though, and get to talking to someone we left off with uh, last time, where we were talking about the 99 sheep. And this comes like, a, it's, like in a, it's like in a trilogy, right? A great trilogy from Luke 15, where, uh, well, as you said in our pre-show, they, they, people were just trying to trap Jesus into saying something stupid so they could, you know hang him up by that. Yeah. And so he tells the story of, of three different lost things, right? He talks the story yeah. about um, uh, the lost sheep. He talks about the lost coin. And he talks about the lost son, right, in this trilogy. And so we were talking at the end of the last episode about the 99 sheep and how sometimes we see ourselves as the 99 sheep. And when I think of it, I think of like sometimes I'm the 99 sheep. Sometimes I'm the, the older brother where – like I, I'm indignant because the person that's lost is getting more attention than I'm getting or is getting more benefit than what I'm getting. Right. And I feel like that's particularly uh, pertinent in this climate because we're taking something that's happening to someone else, right? And we're saying, well, yeah, but what about my thing? Mm-hmm. How come I'm not getting some? Like, well, what about the pain that I've gone through? Or what about this thing that someone else is going through? Because I don't know if there's something for someone, we feel like there should be something for everyone. And boy, if that were the case, we wouldn't have these riots in the first place. If everyone was getting what everyone else got, then, well, we wouldn't have a problem at all. So don't don't turn a protest into a protest. Anyway, that's me. Just I'm on this right now. That's your little soapbox for it today? Is, yes, I'll step down. Don't you feel like if everybody got what they wanted, though, there'd be different kinds of riots? Totally. Like that we're just a riotous yeah. people. Or an autonomous zone in yeah, Seattle. Right. Maybe. Six blocks of let's <laughs> yeah. take over this yeah. and have guys with shin guards from Dick's Sporting Goods and camel yeah. that they bought at Walmart. Quote, patrolling. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which sounds much better than the police. Yeah. Openly right? carrying in a non-open carry yeah. zone with no yeah. discipline or restriction. Yeah. It's crazy. We take a rabbi trail, though. It's crazy. Right? We're just uh, – maybe you're right. Maybe we're just always looking for a fight. As a race, right? That, the human race. We're all well. I think we're always looking for our own thing. We're all. I just think it's. If you put it in the context that you said it, I don't know if we're always looking for a fight, but I would say that we, we're always looking for what's mine. Mm. Yeah. Uh, John Maxwell tweeted yesterday. Human nature seems to endow people with the ability to size up everybody in the world but themselves. Man, that's so good. <laughs> it's, it's like. We're just angry at, you know, this guy and that guy. And and that goes know. back to, I feel like that goes back to us being lazy, right? Because it takes an effort to look at yourself. It's easy. Yeah. To, I mean, like physically, mm-hmm. it's easy. Like I'm fat. I don't know that I'm fat until yeah. like I'm reminded that I'm fat either by my reflection yeah. or by something that somebody like, says. See myself on video. Right. Yes. Right. Right. But then we use the excuse that the camera adds 10 pounds mm, yeah. or we buy a different mirror. We blame the mirror. I talked about right. this the other day. Like I have I have two <laughs> mirrors. I have a mirror that makes me feel good and I have a mirror that makes me feel real. And so the one that makes me feel real, I then make excuses for that mirror, that it's at the wrong angle or <laughs> maybe there's a warp right. in the yep. thing. Right. And so – or man, all my clothes are too small. Yeah, that was this morning. Ooh, I woke up this well, morning. They fit 
for a while. I felt pretty good about myself when I woke up this morning. I've been, I've been, I've changed all of my eating habits. I've, I've made a lot of different changes. And then this morning, my clothes, all of them wanted to protest against me. Mm. Like they were just like, no, we're, no, we're going to be smaller than you anticipated that we are. Right. And so then that builds in this level of insecurity right. that you want to deny. Right. So you, it's easy for you to look at someone else, but it's not easy for you to look at yourself. Where you say, it's easy for you to see yourself. I think it's easy for you to visualize yourself, but I don't think it's easy for you to perceive yourself. Yeah. So right. you, you go, mm, I don't really look like I look, or I don't really sound like I sound. Uh, I'm not what they're trying to portray me as. And so that's when we can come back and, and we, can, we can portray things that are inappropriate for us to betray, but then we make excuses for that because we yeah. don't see ourselves. We don't see that that plank in our own eyes. Right. So if we do have a plank or we do have a chink or we do have a, you know, whatever, a warp, right? We know the context of the chink, plank, and warp, mm -hmm. right? So we can say, we can explain it away. But what we do in this thing that Maxwell said is like, we don't give people that the benefit of that. Right. right? I'm just going to look right. at you and I'm going to evaluate what I see and I'm going to tell you what I see. And if I don't like it, I don't like it. I'm going to give you a chance to tell me about your plank, your chip, mm -hmm. your chink, or your warp. Right. And that's the George W. Bush quote is the, is... You, oh yeah, we, we judge everybody by their we judge groups by their worst example, while judging ourselves by our best intentions. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't mean to, like I didn't, you know. But then you take, you know, um, uh, an awful police officer who clearly does everything that you're not supposed to do um, when putting his neck in his knee into George Floyd's neck, um, and, and people. You know, all police are bad. The mm. thing that the thing that's happening and that they're writing all over the autonomous zone and all over Seattle is um, is AC ACAB, which is all cops are bastards. Hmm. And it's like, okay, I understand there's frustration, and I don't want to belittle the frustration. And I understand there's you know, several cases that keep popping up where bad police are doing bad things and mm -hmm. we got to deal with that. But y you can't, we are always forced, we force ourselves and force everyone else to choose sides of things that are not really sides. They're gr there's gray in the middle, mm -hmm. right? There's, yeah. there's clearly racism in our country and always has been. Mm -hmm. um, and there's, there's, and that needs to be fixed, um, but that doesn't mean we get rid of a police force whose job it is to protect us. Now, mm -hmm. I understand I'm, I'm hearing a lot of black people say they don't feel protected when the police are around, and I get that, and I think I'm understanding that more than I've ever understood that before, um, and I think it's important to dig more into that, um, but I also know, you know, having my congregation really great police officers who I think are doing their job for the right reasons and um, and are really there to protect people. So, you know, you you create this whole, like, this autonomous zone is like, people were all messaging me last night and asking me, like, what do I really think of it? And <laughs> I think the autonomous zone is stupid. I think when when you're trying to, um, not because it's connected to Black Lives Matter, and I, and the I don't even think it is connected, really 
to Black Lives Matter. I think there's all kinds of gray in between. But what people don't know about Seattle is Seattle has all kinds of issues with homelessness and tents everywhere all over our city and mm-hmm. people sleeping in those tents in the middle of sidewalks. And we got this major drug problem. And so when there's a giant protest that takes over six blocks and now the park that I play football with my kid at is covered in tents because people are sleeping in tents. Like Seattle has some other weird problems that people who are not from Seattle do really don't understand because growing up in New York, that was never an issue. But there's all this overlap, right? I think some of those people in tents are Black Lives Matter and some are Antifa and some are just anarchists. And, you know, there's like this weird convergence. And then we're forced by people to, if you say, you know, Black Lives Matter, then you're supporting the organization. If you say they're a good police and you're not supporting Black Lives Matter, and it's just not that, you know, nothing is that black and white. Right. You see you all know. over f- social media lately this like this like really complex Venn diagram of like I support the police, right. yeah, I support you can do all, all of them. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. and this is me yeah. where they all converge, and yeah. like I feel like that's a thing. Like you can be that thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Which is true about the Pharisees because. Biblically, you know, for a biblical example of a group that's been slandered for 2,000 years is the Pharisees. Like most people, when they hear the word Pharisee, think legalistic or evil or bad or like a whole list of negative words. And the Pharisees um, and the Sadducees were the protectors of the Jewish people against Rome. I mean, they were trying to balance this like this, you know, Rome is going to destroy us as a people if we do anything any kind of revolution or any kind of uprising. And so their fear was when somebody came along, I mean, you see it on the Gospels because the disciples keep asking Yeshua, are you going to set us free from Roman rule? Hmm. Right? Because there was an expectation that goes back 150 years to the Maccabees um, who did that. Um, but they were, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were trying to keep people from being like the Maccabees in the first century because they didn't want another revolution because they didn't want the people to die and be wiped off the planet. Um, so it's funny, before even before the parables, in Deuteronomy 18, it's a super clear prophecy for the Jewish people from the Torah. It says, um, God will, Adonai your God will raise up from you a prophet like me from your midst which is Moses speaking, from your own brothers. To him you must listen. And this is just what you asked of God on Mount Sinai on the day of assembly. Um, and then he says, essentially, I will raise up a prophet like you from among them, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he will speak to them all that I've commanded him. Whoever does not listen to the words of that prophet who speaks in my name, I will call him to account. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him, should be put to death. So then it says, when a prophet speaks in Adonai's name and the word does not happen or come true, that is the word that God has spoken, and the prophet should be put to death. Do not be afraid of him. So there's two pieces to it. There's first you have to listen and you have to examine based on what he's saying and what he's doing and whether the things he's prophesying are actually coming true, which is why there's so much craziness around the miracles. And, you know, there were five expected miracles of the Messiah in the first century to heal the blind, to heal the lame, to make the mute speak, to heal leprosy and to raise someone from the dead. And as Yeshua is doing each of those things, people are like, wait, this could be our guy. Mm-hmm. Like everybody. 
saying that, you know, that's why people ask John, you know, because John started doing stuff and they were like, are you the prophet? Are you Elijah? Are you the Messiah? And John's like, no, I'm, I'm here to bear witness to the other guy. Um, and the, the issue is when you come to the Gospels, the Pharisees, there's a particular group of Pharisees because it's never all Pharisees. And you have to repeat that over and over again because people have it so stuck in their mind that Pharisees are legalistic, evil, awful people, and they're just not. But there are some, mm -hmm. like there are in every group, that didn't listen to Yeshua. They just wanted to kill him. And there's this gap between like, you have to listen first to make sure that you're hearing, you know, like I, I remember in college, I, I, I started arguing with my professor about in, in a theology class, because he was talking replacement theology. And I was like, nope, you know, like I was just... <laughs> And I call Wouldn't you my, love to have this guy I, in your class right? as a professor? <laughs> nope. Uh, and I called my dad, and I was like, I had this crazy argument today in class. And my dad said, why are you arguing with your professor? And I said, because he's teaching the wrong thing. My dad said, but how do you know if you don't listen to what he's teaching first? If you really want to argue what he's saying, then understand his argument, and then argue in your papers— against his actual argument. If you don't even know the argument and you're just quick to like jump, no, 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 you're wrong. You know, and that was like an important life lesson for me. Yeah. It comes right out of the Torah. You have to listen first. And after you listen, then you make a judgment. But I mean, it's happening all over the place today. Nobody listens. Right. Let me build that bridge because you've been talking about listening for a few weeks now. Yeah. And we don't do that. Neither, neither side... That's what I was about to say. Mm -hmm. Neither side is doing oh, that. Nobody listens. Yeah. Right? Because we don't want to. We just want to, we want to react with our feelings. We want to react with, you know, our, you know, upsetness. I don't know, there's a yeah. word there, but it's not upsetness. Yeah. So like, and, that, and that's just what we do. So like when, when they find out people are rioting, why are they rioting? I wouldn't riot. They're just like, they're not helping their cause. Why are they looting? They're, I wouldn't loot. They're just not helping their cause. Well, right. maybe take a second because no one's been listening to them. You know, prior to rioting, yeah, that's the MLK. MLK quote is is uh, riots are the are the uh, language are the language of the unheard. Like I think it, we I think even when we think we're listening, though we're not listening. We're only listening right. to the point to where we can respond. Right. I don't even think we do that just in in conflict. I think we do that in life. If you there's people. Who, when you have conversations with them, you see them, their lips are quivering because they can't wait to just say whatever yeah. it is that they have to say. Yeah. And hopefully you say something that will spur that. And it's pe it's people who respond with things like, well, you know, that's like I say. Yeah. And, and it's like they're trying to use you to validate themselves, which in some way comes through insecurity or an inferiority complex, which so many groups of people have had that ingrained in them the, their whole lives, this whole idea of inferiority. And, you know, the rabbi and I talked about this last night off the air, that there are whole people groups who, who if you're not a part of that people group, you can't understand why they don't do this or they don't do that or why they do, why they do do this or do that. Yeah. And it's because you don't understand, like for us, let's just take even the rabbi out of the equation. For you and I, as Anglo-Caucasian men, there are things that we don't understand because they weren't ingrained in us. 
And so we have to be patient enough not just to hear, but to listen to the whole thing, which is why I love like this idea that Jesus even presents throughout the Gospels, where he t- he's such a great question asker. Mm-hmm. Like, don't you love people that ask you about you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Everybody loves people that ask them about them, right? Yeah. And so I've been learning things in this process about people who I thought I really knew them. I have a friend, Dr. Alan Griffin, who I have been brothers with him for more than 20 years. We've had, I mean, we literally talk on the phone almost every day. And not just, hey, what's up? Like we have like long conversations. And there are things I learned in this process about him. He's he's an African-American guy. I know his family. I've traveled overseas with his brother who's a chaplain in the military. I know his mama. I call his mom, mom. His sister's like my sister. Like the, his kids are like my, my kids call him Uncle Alan and his kids call me Uncle Sean. And so like we're as close as friends can be. And I've actually listened to him doing dialogues outside of me where I learned things that I realized I wasn't asking him the right questions. Yeah. Hmm. So, so we've had lots of conversations we just haven't had the conversations about the things that were really necessary to have me get to know what his life was like at a foundational level. Right. Like he he grew up initially in a predominantly Caucasian area in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Well, then his parents got passionate about bringing foster kids in and about adopting kids. And then his dad, who's retired from the Air Force, determined that he was going to pastor a church in the inner city of Grand Rapids. And so so they moved from their calm suburban environment down into the the roughest neighborhood in Grand Rapids. And and that that had a had an effect on him, right? So I know those effects that it had. But what I never knew and I've never asked is what do you think it was about your dad that made him do that? Like that would be an interesting conversation to have because there's something, he, you know, his dad, who's in heaven now, he was an older guy when he died. And the breadth of knowledge that he had about the culture, like he grew up like 90 minutes from me. Like Grand Rapids is 90 minutes from me. He went through all of the same things. Grand Rapids went on a microscopic level, all of the same things that Detroit went through. Hmm. And those are conversations that I could have had with his dad and that I probably should now have with his mom that would be so enlightening to me as a person who thought I understood their culture. It just takes time. Like listening takes a lot of time. And so when I watch this thing about Jesus and these conversations that he has, it's it's eye-opening to us as believers to go, well, I wonder if I just acted a little bit more like that, like we wear the bracelet, the WWJD. And yet Jesus, even in the midst of being accused of things, as the rabbi is going to talk about with this trilogy of parables, he, he doesn't back down. He's not, he's not a wimp like, like you said before we went on air. That, that's right. how we portray him. Right. But Jesus is like, there's a way that <clears throat> Jesus can confront things, can confront ignorance and injustice in a way that's not ugly. Yeah. 
People always go to throw it when he flips the tables in the temple. <laughs> it's like, that's the one time he got angry. He finally flipped his lid. But I think Yeshua was angry all the time, actually. Mm. I, I think his, and his anger comes against people who are convinced they understand but don't listen. Mm. Which, I mean, John Maxwell's quote, that includes us. Like, yeah. That's yeah. everybody. Yeah. Like, we're constantly filtering everything through... You know, I mean, everybody else has all these problems, but I'm good, you know, and it, it's just it, it's just not reality. So with the three famous parables in particular um, in Luke 15, you have the lost sheep, the lost coin and the lost younger brother. Mm-hmm. And there there are three lost things when my when my girls were little we we watched the Tinkerbell and the Lost Things the Lost it's Things a, is a, one of my favorite it's a great kids. movie it totally it's is a great movie. Uh, never and, saw it no I'll go home tonight and watch that she collects Aubrey. lost things but finds she's lost herself oh it is so beautiful Ooh. I don't need uh, to watch that yeah no you don't it's but, okay yeah I was watching a Disney movie the other night by myself but. Uh, you know, it, and really that's the heart of the three stories. But what everybody – and people talk about these stories all the time. Like I saw the uh, several times it was posted um, on social media in, in different um, groups that I'm a part of. Um, you know, if you want to understand Black Lives Matter, you just look to the Luke 15 and the 99 sheep. And the shepherd leaves to find the one sheep who's lost. Um, and the way it's described in those is, is – uh, the 99 are like, but don't we matter? And, and the shepherd's like, yeah, you do, but I have to go for the one that's in danger. But that's actually not the context of the story at all, of why he even tells these two stories. The context is Luke 15, verse 1. It says, now all the tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to hear Yeshua. And you got to look at the groups, right? Tax collectors are the worst of the worst. Mm-hmm. They're, they're the worst because they're Jewish people who were collecting taxes for Rome from their own people and were most often pocketing for themselves and becoming wealthy off of Roman money. And they were like traitors to mm-hmm. the Jewish people. The tax collectors were the worst. Um, and, and then sinners were, you know, kind of all of the normal, um, you know, the, the, the drunk people and the... Yeah, your run-of-the-mill you sinners. You know, prostitutes yeah. 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 and the, like the ones we always think of when we say sinners, right? Like, these are the people who are coming to hear Yeshua, which is, which is quite amazing to even think about by itself. Hmm. It's funny, all through the Gospels, some of the leadership Pharisees and the Sadducees are angry at him when he speaks. But then it says, but the people who listen to him were intrigued because he spoke with as one with authority, mm-hmm. which is a New York way to say authority. But my wife says I'm supposed to say authority. Authority. Yeah. That's the uh, word. Authority. Yeah. Authority. It's authority. Okay. So he operates with, I could say it with authority. He he operates in authority. So what does that mean? It, it just means that he, in Judaism, rabbis say, you know, I believe this, and the other rabbi believes this, and the other rabbi believes this, and, you know, they, they could all be right. And Yeshua walks in and goes, what you're doing is wrong because when I gave the commandments to you, mm-hmm. I didn't mean what you're doing. And they're like, what do you mean when you gave the commandments to us? You know, like, yeah. what do you mean you knew Abraham? What do you mean? And the leaders are, some of the leaders uh, get frustrated because like, 
are you saying what we think? Are you saying you're God? Because if you're saying you're God, like, did you do all the miracles? But the people are always standing there going, man, there's something awesome about this guy. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I can't really put my finger on it, but he just, he just seems like he knows what he's talking about. You know, so in Luke, it's one of those 15. Um, it says, then the Pharisees and the Torah scholars began to complain, saying, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So they were frustrated that he wasn't eating with them, that he was eating with the people that, for all kinds of reasons, probably based on commandments in the Torah, but then added reasoning of why they shouldn't spend time with people that they said were unclean. Um, you know, like, why is he hanging out with them instead of us? And immediately it goes into, so he told this parable to them. Like, he knows they're angry. Mm -hmm. They're super frustrated. And Yeshua's like, I mean, you can, you know, you guys know from people, like when somebody who's angry and frustrated after a sermon, you know, you can see them coming from the back of the room, stomping and they're all angry and they're mm -hmm. like, I don't like what you said, you know? Okay, well, what didn't you like about it? Well, I, you know, I think this and I think that. And you're like, okay, well, I'm happy to buy a coffee like on Monday and we can sit down and talk about it. Well, I don't want to talk about it. I just want to tell you that I think you're terrible. You know? uh, or let uh, me send you a scathing email. Yes. Yeah, okay. Well. With as many scriptural references <laughs> yes. as I can come up with that are out of context. I mean, totally it's only from the King James Version. <laughs> I can give you free coffee, but yeah. okay. Um, and, and so it's, you know, Yeshua doesn't lose his cool. He's, but I think, I mean, I think it's evident all through the text that he's not happy. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's like, okay. Like we picture him as this super loving, like he just looked at them and said, like touched their face and was like, you know, I just love you. Yeah. Like I. You're so sweet. You're so, yeah. I know you must have deeper issues. Yeah. And I, no, he actually tells stories that are totally offensive to them. And they're offensive because he's talking about them. Not just with them, but with all these other people around also people. listening, yeah, yeah. Right. right? So he says, there's this, uh, um, which of my, among you, if he has a hundred sheep and loses one of them, would not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the lost one until he finds it? When, he's find it, when he finds it, he puts it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors and says, Rejoice with me. I found my sheep that was lost. And I tell you in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven for one repenting sinner. <laughs> Listen. Mm -hmm. For one repenting sinner than for 99 righteous people who have no need for repentance. Like, <laughs> he's, he's like... I mean, he is looking at them right in the face and saying, that's you. And, and it's not the 99 are saying, but don't you care about us? We, we, but we love you too. Yeah, don't no, we matter? They don't think they need him. Mm -hmm. and, and, and Yeshua is saying, look, every time I will leave people who think they're righteous without me. And this isn't Jesus by himself. This is all the way back to Genesis chapter one. God has never liked oppression. He hates it. Mm -hmm. And he hates when people oppress other people. And he told us as a people for, you know, over and over again, when you get into the land, do not oppress people because you were slaves in Egypt and you know what it's like. And don't make other people your slaves. Like it's a very clear um, commandment. But even not making somebody a slave, which is a pretty big step, you know, you, you can still have issues in your own heart where you think, 
You know, I mean, he says it super clearly. I, I, I'm telling you, there's more joy in heaven for somebody who repents for their sin. Because sinners know they need to repent for their sin. <laughs> right? Like I right. say, I make it a joke with my kids all the time. They do stuff all the time. And I'll just say, you sinner. <laughs> you know, and then they laugh. And I'm like, no, for real, you're a sinner. <laughs> I, and I am too. Like, this is why we do the things we do. Because mm-hmm. we're sinners, Right. And there's this element of, and then it's weird because it becomes like, oh, well, these Pharisees were so self-righteous. These Pharisees, man, they were just, they were just the worst. Like, they didn't, you know, they were so legalistic and self-righteous. And I am so thankful that I've been set free from that. Mm-hmm. And that's actually doing the same thing that these Pharisees are doing. And if you're not willing to face your own stuff, be honest with your own sin. And be repent and repent for your sin on a regular basis. It seems clear to me that God will leave you. Yeah, but if you bring it back to what you just talked about about this movie that you guys have apparently seen that I haven't, where Tinkerbell is it? That yes. Goes, you don't, yeah. yeah, you don't need to make that things. face when that, you say it. That, yeah. that Tinkerbell goes on this journey for lost things, and you said what she realized during that journey is that she was lost herself. Totally. And this is what we're discovering. Yeah as a people right now, or yeah. what we should be discovering, that right. we we are lost ourselves. Mm-hmm. And these are people, these Pharisees, these are guys who are doing everything they can to get things right. And now they're encountered with a person in Yeshua and an entire situation, at least in this Luke 15 context, where the light is being shined on the fact that they are lost. It's difficult to recognize that you're lost. And beyond being difficult to recognize that you're lost, it's difficult to admit it even once you recognize it. We all know that as men. Just look at our world as men, how we make jokes about it. Men aren't gonna go ask for directions or how many men ignore their GPS right. and their wife is like, it says a yeah. turn left. No, I've, I know this thing doesn't know what it's talking Going about. Right. I mean, it is a global positioning <laughs> service, but it doesn't know what it's talking about. I, yeah. I know how to get there better than that. And so there are so many of us right now who it's being revealed how truly lost we are, mm-hmm. not just with our view on racial equality. Yeah. This... This situation that we're in is is a symptom of something that we're having a difficulty as as a people mm-hmm. of recognizing the fact and it's bringing out the self-righteousness with air quotes of people particularly church people yeah. and religious people and the amount of angst that it's causing in people because I think what it's doing is it's revealing a wound in us that we're like you know what Maybe yeah. I don't really know this Jesus guy. Right. And I have pictured him as X, Y, or Z, whether you pictured him as a revolutionary who flips over tables or whether, you know, because there's a whole chain of people in the church world now that are like, Jesus was a revolutionary. Yeah. And he had like and he dreads and he was, yeah, you know. And and then this other Which group of people who say that he, he was kid. this mamby, pamby, wimpy, Meek. whatever. Like, yeah. and so. But here's the thing, like he he can be both of those things. Yeah, when, he can be calm to be. and loving and a revolutionary and confrontational totally. and angry, as you said, which I think then some people would look at and say, 
Well, you, you know, you can't be angry. And I mean, if you, like, right. we're angry but it about was righteous all anger, the time. Right? It yeah. was righteous anger, right? We got to be like, that's what people are like. Yeah, we have yeah, to put but, a little uh, asterisk I just, I just by. He, he was right. Well, what's the difference? He was angry because he didn't like that these leaders were telling him who he couldn't spend time with. Right. And that by spending time with sinners, he was doing something wrong. So he continued. Then he drops. He doesn't even stop. He just drops, drops the next story. Mm-hmm. Then he says, or... <laughs> like it's, you know, like now that just, didn't make he's, sense. He's yeah. just monologuing, right? Yeah. Or uh, which woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search thoroughly until she finds it? When she's found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, "Rejoice with me, for I found the coin that I had lost." And in the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Mm. Or Here's another story. And then he sells the fa- probably, I mean, the prodigal son's probably the most famous parable mm-hmm. in the scriptures, right? People, yeah. if uh, people that don't necessarily read Bibles or some, you know, uh, know the story of the prodigal to some degree. The problem is that it shouldn't be called, it's, well, parables don't have names in the text. Mm-hmm. They're just stories that Yeshua is telling. And the fact that we call it the prodigal um, actually de-emphasizes the story. Because it's really what Tim Keller says in his book, Prodigal God, is it's really the the parable of the two sons. Mm -hmm. And there's the prodigal who, like the one sheep and like the lost coin, runs off and is lost. But when you read the parable, um, it's really these two sons both want their father dead. The, The younger brother says, I wish you were dead now. Just give me what is owed to me for when you die, which has a dad is like uh, that's awful i mean i don't have much to give at this point but i also like you know he wanted him dead but in the same sense the older brother is really by his reaction at the end of the story has been waiting for his father to die so everything could be his it's like they have the same problem they're just reacting to the problem differently Hmm. right the younger brother goes off and squanders everything his father gave him and comes back in repentance and it's like the other two stories there's the celebration of he 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 gives a ring on his finger. He he gives him the new shoes back. He like he lost everything. He's destitute. You know the way home. The prodigal's like I, I, maybe he'll just let me be one of his servants. Like he was down to the bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, and his father, the father is actually it seems in the story is looking at the horizon. Apparently every night, every night waiting, waiting for, him to waiting come over for the hill. his son mm-hmm. to come over the hill, like the dog in Homeward Bound, where he comes. They think he's yes. dead, but then he comes limping up over. The- yes, never Another saw one. Homeward Bound. So good, I haven't. Oh, so good. Um, so <laughs> I feel like you know, such a disappointment he, he, to you guys. He, he's waiting. Yeah, we're, ju- we're totally judging you. Uh, he he's waiting, and then that's usually where people end the story. Mm-hmm. Like there was a big party, and and you're all the prodigal when we preach it, and 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 there are so many prodigals in this room, and and God's just waiting for you to return, but in the context of the story. Yeshua is saying, you know, he starts by saying, look, if you had 99 sheep, wouldn't you leave for one that was lost? Like, if you lost a coin, you know, you're happy to have all the other coins, but don't you go out of your way to find it? And if if your son left you, you know, he, he's like building this case. Like, mm-hmm. if your son left you and asked for your inheritance like you were dead— which would have spoke to all of them because inheritance was such a big deal in the first century. Like, you know, but then he came back. Wouldn't you still treat him like a son? 
Like you, you wouldn't make him a servant, would you? You, you would treat him like a son. But then there's the older brother, and that's usually the part that most people don't even preach. But the older brother is actually the point, just as much the point of the story, probably more so because of who he's speaking to, right? The Pharisees and the, uh, were frustrated that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors. So he's, he's saying, well, I get that you're frustrated, but, you know, they're the ones that are lost. You should know better. You're the ones who say you're righteous and act like you're righteous, and you are righteous. Like later, Yeshua says in Matthew 23, don't do what, do what the Pharisees say, but don't do what they do. Right? Like he's not saying what yeah. they're teaching is wrong. He's saying what they're teaching is true, but you sh- really shouldn't follow people who don't live what they teach. Mm. Right? And he's saying to the, to the leaders, like, live what you teach. You are teaching the right things. They weren't teaching legalism. They were teaching the right things, but they were, they were lost themselves. And yeah. that's what's, I, you know, that's why it's the parable of two sons, because the Pharisees are just as lost as the sinners. Mm-hmm. Right, and the and each of the story is so. Then it gets to the brother, and and the brother is angry that his father. It says now his older son was out in the field, and he came near the house and he heard the music and the dancing, and he called out to one of the servants and began to ask, "What could this be?" And the servant said, "Well, your brother's come home, and your father killed the fatted calf, because he got him back safe and sound." And the older brother was angry. Like, You've never killed a fatted calf for me. Yeah. Well, right. how could you not be happy that your brother's yeah. not dead? Mm. Like, it's his brother. Like, if something happens to my brother and he's law, literally gone and we don't know what happened to him and he shows up, your first response shouldn't be anger. Right. Well, now, <laughs> like, but yeah. I, I would look at it from, and I could be wrong in this, but practically I would look at that from a greed standpoint. Like, totally. Hold up a minute. You just took totally. your inheritance. Now you're back, and now I'm going to have to split. Yeah, I'm not where I no, half at least. No, now yeah. I got a quarter. No, no it's, more, half of it's actually more yeah. than that. He's saying, you already took my inheritance. Mm. Like, he's the older brother. It's all his. Oh, yeah. And the then he's supposed younger to take brothers care don't of his get younger money. brother. Yeah. What happens in the inheritance, this is a misunderstanding of inheritance in the, in the first century, um, is inheritance doesn't mean you get all the stuff. Hmm. Inheritance means you become the father of the mm-hmm. house and you have responsibility to take care of all of your extended family. That's why you get the stuff. It's to provide for everyone else, which would include his brother and his mm-hmm. brother's family and like he's supposed to provide. So but now in, the younger brother cashes out. Right. And the older brother's looking at it as you already stole some of my inheritance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have all the responsibility and half of the of the ability to ability provide. To, right. So his father came outside and pleaded with him, which is funny, right? Because he's pleading with him the same way he would have pled with his other son to not leave. Hmm. And he's saying, just, I know you've been with me and I, I know you've done, like you've worked hard, but just come in the party and celebrate. And and he says, I, the brother says, look, I've slaved away for you, and and not once did I ignore your orders, yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends, but when this son of yours, which is not when my brother, right, right this son of yours comes back and he squandered your wealth with sinners, mm-hmm. 
prostitutes. For him you killed a fatted calf. And the father said, son, you were always with me, and everything that is mine is yours. But it's right to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead, but has come back to life. life. He was lost, but is found. Hmm. And then there's no... That's, that's yeah, where the whole conversation yeah. ends. And then the Pharisees said, they, none of that, right? Right. There's yeah. no response. There's nothing. It just goes on to... Now, Yeshua was also saying to the disciples, like, it totally moves <laughs> on to another thing in, in 16. Yeah. In another story. Yeah. So we often preach it as, you know, we're all prodigals. But what Tim Keller says in his book, Prodigal God, is that the majority of followers of Jesus are older brothers mm-hmm. who have once were prodigals, returned to God, but made their lives right, got a good job, loved their spouse, loved their children, are living righteously, but at the same time judging every time a prodigal returns. Like, we don't want those kind of people here. Which makes them just as lost, right? That's the point. Totally. Right. And so, and I wonder if sometimes if we... If we've been lost for so long, and if there, if we've been lost with so many others who are lost with us, that we somehow, somehow decide that we're not lost. That right. in fact, that, well, that we forget that we're right. We forget that we were once lost and found, and that we're supposed to celebrate every time someone's lost and found. Right. But instead, it's like, well, I don't really want those kind of people here. Like that's yeah, not yeah. safe. Right. It's not safe to have those kind of people, whatever right. kind of people. What I want, yeah, what I want is them. more people that, that will think like me. Yeah, we right? need, we need more think, healthy, yes. righteous. Righteous. Uh, we need more like, you know, and then the hard part for me as a Jewish follower of Jesus is when you look in commentaries, this is flipped. Um, from all the way back to early church fathers, somehow the older brother is the Jewish people. Mm. And the, and the prodigal is the church. And then they take kind of a true idea and then apply it in a horrific way that makes Jewish people, the Pharisees were representatives of the whole people, and the whole people were awful. So God left them and started over. Mm. The problem is he, he made a commitment to never leave us or forsake us, which always means there's a remnant of people among the Jewish people who do the right thing. And who follow God with all their heart, with all their soul, and all their strength. Um, and it's that remnant that God stays with because he made a promise to us as a people. But then these same ideas are turned around into anti-Semitic, uh, you know, they, they become the reason why Jews aren't Jews anymore and Jews just have to become Christians. And if they believe in Jesus, they have to do away with all the self-righteous, legalistic forms of Judaism, and come to Christianity, which is free of those things. Which is right. well, what's interesting. You don't have to is, do much church history to know the church wasn't free of those yeah. things. What's interesting <laughs> is when you say that, though, I don't think that ends with, I would say, the mainline church's view of Judaism. I mm-hmm. think particular denominations look at other denominations and think the same thing. Totally. I think true. we think well you should you should stop all your pageantry. Yeah. You Catholics should stop all the, oh Catholic, yeah, you, yeah. Catholics it's, can't love Jesus. It's That's been amazing people, how many people have said that. I know plenty of Catholics that love Jesus. Or Lutherans or you know whatever but they this thing the Pope. may be. I know, yeah. but like you do stuff you Yeah, like I do just too. I just watched a really interesting documentary not to get off on a, what would be for me a rabbit trail but what for you would be a rabbi trail. Yes. There 
I just watched this interesting documentary about a guy who who spent like two hours painting a picture of who the Antichrist would be. And in the end, he thought that he had proven his point that the Pope, that that the Vatican right. was the Antichrist. And right. it was like, man, that was that was a lot of work that he put into that. And by the end, I just was like, I, I, where did you come yeah. up with that jump idea? But what you said at the beginning was that they both wanted what they wanted. Mm-hmm. The older brother and the younger brother both wanted what they wanted. And mm-hmm. I think that is a portrait of us as a society. Like yes. we both want what we want. Yeah. And and then I think it comes back to this insecurity and inferiority complex that yeah. that the older brother is insecure that he's losing what's his. Yeah. And he's viewing the younger brother as inferior mm-hmm. without the idea that, hey, listen, we can both get what we want. Mm-hmm. We just have to change what we want. This right. idea to me to say, what if we actually went back to the book? Most people don't read it. We know that. Most people don't pray. Yeah. Not not in a relational sense anyway. How is it that we could possibly understand what it is that God wants for our lives when we're never listening to him, when we're never asking him questions, when we're never having any kind of dialogue back and forth with him where, and I get it that there's people who feel like, well, I don't know how to hear from God. But when is the last time you just stilled your mind and stilled your heart and asked those questions? Like, God, what is it that you want for me? What is it that you want for me in the midst of this? I understand that you don't agree with everything that's going on right now. I understand you don't understand everything that's going on culturally. I don't understand what's going on in the the autonomous zone. I don't live right. in Seattle anymore. But what I understand is I don't I don't like it from a distance. Right. And so God, how do you want me to think about that? How do you want me to respond to that? That's what I want. Yeah. What I want is what God wants for me and from me. Yes. And I think if we all could just sit back and put ourselves in the position to be teachable, yeah. to listen, to, to like, yeah. it's all in the book already. Mm-hmm. We don't have to get some new revelation, special revelation. It's all already in there. And right. you've been, over the last two and a half, two and three quarter episodes now, been describing that, that from the first book to the last book, mm-hmm. it is interwoven the presence and the personality and the expectations of Yeshua. What mm-hmm. What is it that he wants of us, for us, and from us? Right. It's all in there. Right. But we're not listening to be able to hear what those things are. I love that. So to go back to what you said that he just said, like we all want what we want mm-hmm. and when it's different. And so the problem, one of the problems that's manifesting itself today is that institutionally, there's a group of people that have had the upper hand, mm-hmm. right? That have been in control, that have had the authority, that have had the, for whatever reason, mm-hmm. right? Have the authority. Mm-hmm. And so this is another group that still want what they want, but because of, allow me, the systemic, mm-hmm. right, process of how this, they just don't have it. They don't have the the juice, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like that was like a, wasn't that a movie? It was with Tupac. Yeah, and Wesley Snipes. It was such a good movie. It was. Juice was so good. Uh, anyway, but wait, yeah. sorry, yeah. sorry. Wow, I don't Tinker get Bell on the Juice Rabbit Trail. That movie I've seen. <laughs> Not a Disney Tinker movie. Tinkerbell, no. Homeward Bound, no. Juice, though? See oh, yeah. One. But so, and, so, and so now we're at this place where it's become so institutionalized that it seems crazy to listen to what other people might want. But this goes back to what you said. As Christians, white, black, 
yellow, red, whatever. Yeah. As Christians, if we're really pursuing what God wants or what Jesus wants or what Jesus wants from us, there's no room for them and us wants. There's just yeah. what he wants. Well, if you look at the stories that he even just told from Luke 15, those stories are going to be filtered differently dependent upon who you are and what, what entitlement you've been given in your life, right? There are some people who will read those stories and will go, I wouldn't sweep up for one coin. Like, it's a coin. Like, it's right. one coin. coin Remember a story go. that Sonny told me, you know, Sonny grew up you know, quite wealthy. Her her parents were incredibly successful business people. And her, her dad is a meticulous guy. Wait, that's actually a really profound thing. Because what Jesus is actually saying to the righteous people is you wouldn't go after the one. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That there, yeah. that you have this group of people. You who, would let the sheep die. You have this group of people who are entitled. This yeah. group of people who, who you have the haves and the have-nots. Yeah. Who right? cares if they die? And the haves would go. I got 99 more. There's like, There's more where that came from. Yeah. There. I don't. I don't need to sweep up that coin. Why would I take the effort to move a couch? And right. so Sonny's dad, who was this really meticulous, very successful business guy, he, he was a guy who. Uh, Almost every night when he would come home, they had this gorgeous uh, seven-car garage, and he was a car collector. And almost every night, he would wash his truck before he came home, and then he would take a push broom, and he would sweep out the shop, the garage. He called it the shop. And one time when Sonny was... uh, She's an adolescent. I can't remember her age, but old enough that this is this was very formative in her life. She was sweeping up the shop, and there was a penny, and she was just sweeping it up. And her dad said, well, what are you doing? And Sonny said, it's just a penny. But to her dad, even though he was incredibly wealthy, that penny mattered mm-hmm. because it had value. But at that point in Sonny's life, in her immaturity— in the fact that her dad built that wealth, her dad started the business, her dad built that house, built that garage, built his business. But to Sonny, she was an entitled little kid. And, and not that her her attitude was entitled, but in the fact that, what's yeah, a penny? A and to her experience. dad, it was like, well, hold on a minute. Yeah, that's That's really my penny. And so you're trying to sweep up this penny because to you it's insignificant. And so to some of us who have grew up in this like entitled, and even take it away from a financial thing, but from a power standpoint, Mm -hmm. to those of us who, like I said the other day, have never had to live our lives under the microscopic fear of how someone responds to us. We don't look at things like, we we haven't had to build this, or we haven't had to fight for that. And so there's this sense of entitlement, or as we're saying in our culture now, there's this sense of privilege that we have upon us because we inherited something that perhaps wasn't ours. And so this idea of how people view things and and how they approach things have a whole lot to do with what they've had to fight for. But I put feel your like hand up. We, I am I yeah, put my hand up. That, yeah. yeah. <laughs> a lot of people would retort that and say, "Listen, nobody ever gave me anything. Mm-hmm. I worked for everything I had." Don't talk to me about white privilege. I I came from nothing, and now I got something. Because we've made privilege financial. Right. Privilege is not just financial. Let me say, so what you're telling the penny story, what came to my mind as a Jewish person, Mm -hmm. 
is people throwing pennies on the ground in front of me and saying that never happened. You're telling a lie right now. Totally. And You're saying, such- aren't you going to pick it up? Mm. Because Jews love money. Mm. So like you, even in a simple story, right? Right. You hear there's different experience. Yeah. Like your story's right. It's a great story. Yep. But my mind automatically went to, oh yeah, people, when I, especially when I was wearing a yarmulke, people would throw a penny down mm-hmm. and say, you know, as if all I cared about was money because I'm Jewish, mm. which is, you know, there's, so even within a simple story that makes mm-hmm. a point, you, I automatically hear a different story because yeah. my, because, because my experience is totally the different. The penny has a different context totally. to you. The penny's like racism. Hmm. The penny is, you know, somehow the idea that Jews have all the money turns it into a, you know, all you Jews care about is money. When people, uh, you know, bargain, I've I've heard people mm. say, you just got to, I got to Jew them down. Yep. You know, and it's, it, it's just an awful, um, you know, I was seeing some stuff last night, you know, there's the Black Lives Matter uh, as a, the organization, as part of their statements, it is pro-Palestinian and anti-Israel. Hmm. And they're part of the uh, BDS movement, which is the, um, um, I forget what the first, what the B stands for. Uh, but it's having nothing to do with Israel and anything that comes from Israel to boycott, that's it, boycott, divest, um, and something else. But it's, you know, a totally, so in my sphere, people are like, you know, a lot of Messianic friends and Jewish people are like, we can't support Black Lives Matter mm. because Black Lives Matter is anti-Israel, even to the point where people are posting things like the Israeli police train the uh, American police, which is true in some cities, um, and but then they apply it as these bad police learned bad policing from the Israelis so who oppressed the Palestinians. Yeah. And somehow... In any, like, in all kinds of world situations, there's always people who somehow bring it back to, there go the Jews again. Like, it's a, you know, it, it where it's not even a connection, which one of my friends posted an article from, uh, Ron Cantor from Israel posted an article this morning about um, while the Israeli police do train police, American police departments, the Minneapolis police have not been trained by the Israeli police. And the Israeli police do not train people to put their knees in people's necks. Hmm. You know, and there's all kinds of sensitivities in the Israeli-Palestinian, you know, it is not clear. <laughs> it's not a simple conversation. Um, and there is oppression on both sides. And there is, but we get accused all the time of genocide by even one of the leaders of the Black Lives Movement. She's talked about it in the past that, you know, Jews are committing genocide. Which is a bit frustrating since of all people in the world who have experienced genocide, maybe more than any other group, is the Jewish people. It doesn't mean we're above it and we can't do it. Yeah. You know, because we're not supposed to be oppressors. It doesn't mean that the nation of Israel as a country is not oppressing anyone, you know, on an individual. Because there's all kinds of hostilities and frustrations and people do all kinds of weird things. But somehow for it to become... You know, it's kind of circle back to like you asked in the first episode: Is anti-Semitism real? 
yeah, because there's always people who bring it back to the conversation. I mean, I went down a rabbit trail, a, a, a long, like, a rabbit hole looking at Ice Cube's Twitter the, the other day. And Ice Cube's Twitter recently is loaded with all kinds of black people are the real Jews. You know, and there's, like, uh, this whole other side of, like, you know, it, it, it's just frustration that somehow turns itself into oppression. But I was also thinking about my buddy Javon Washington, who's a pastor in Seattle. Um, and I asked him, can black people be racist? And he said, well, the, the issue is that the way we even define racism is that one group is inferior to another, that you will feel that your group is superior to another group. And honestly, I think for the majority, and there's always people that break rules, right? There's always people that do. But as a rule, if you've spent thousands of years being inferior to other people, uh, superiority is not really an issue for us, like for Jews and for blacks. The majority of Jewish people and black people do not think they're superior to other races because we've been so inferior in the past that we have to get over inferiority before you would ever get to superiority, mm. right? But people who have never experienced oppression uh, are ones that struggle with superiority because that's where the privilege is. The privilege is you've never been told that you're not good enough mm. as a people. Right. And that goes back to where you were headed, right? And talking about entitlement and then, you know, privilege, right? And like how that it's like we talked about yesterday. I think it was us that were talking about it, where like, because I'm in that spot, I need to pause for a second before I start saying, you've got no right to, or you shouldn't feel this. Or like, I, I've got to pause for a second because I've not experienced that. Like, and you said like in your conversations with your friend, mm -hmm. right? Dr. Griffin. Griffin. I can't think of his first name right now. Alan. Alan. Gosh, darn it. <laughs> anyway. So, um, he always says, hey, man, when he sees me, though. So I don't feel bad. Because he meets a lot, probably a lot more yeah. people than I do. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> anyway, so when you said you were talking with your – there were things you never thought to ask, mm -hmm. right? Because it just never right. occurred to you. Why would you even ask that? We had a staff meeting the other day. And one of the dudes on staff, black dude, and, and, and he was asked in the meeting, like, how, like, how could we have done, done something different, mm -hmm. right? And he said, no one asked me how I was doing. Yep. Right. And it never would have occurred to me. And at first my reaction, this is so white guy. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I don't see your color. You're just a guy on staff. Yep. Well, that's, I mean, you might think that's enlightened or you might think that's woke. That's just as stupid. Yeah. Right. That to, you can't ignore the fact that they're black or ignore the fact that they're Jewish. I mean, that's not, that's not the point. That demeans everything that right. they've gone through. Yes. Right. And so I should have been asking DJ. Yeah. Hey, brother. Like, what's up with this? And he's, you know, he's, uh, he's in a, he's got a white wife, right? So mm -hmm. mixed. Raise kids, and so like, there's a whole nother thing yeah, with that. Totally. And so like now he's got double. He's doubling down, mm -hmm. you know, on the people that could like hate him or whatever. And so I I was convicted by that. Like I yeah. I thought anything of DJ rather than trying to just you know make him more treat him more white. I should have been treating him as a respected black man. Mm -hmm. But when you come back even to this idea of what you'd said with the Black Lives Matter and that they're anti-Semitic and that I've had a lot of people that have you know had concerns. I'll say, we have concerns. I had a, a guy who, several people who have messaged me about 
are are we are we because if I do something to them, that includes them. So are we now supporting Black Lives Matter? And I think the struggle is sometimes we're not having the conversation with the intention of listening to where I would I would wager that there are people who are a part of the Black Lives Matter movement who don't know that they're anti-Semitic. Mm-hmm. And if and if they do know that that's part of their history, they know that that's not part of who they are. Right. Or there are people who are who are aligned with the Black Lives Matter movement who would say, well, I mean, I'm not in support of same-sex marriage or people's, you know, whatever it is, their sexual choice. But at the same time, we're not listening to them as people. So we're categor- categorizing them with an organization just like we've done to the Pharisees. Right. So for the whole time we as believers have read the book, yeah. we love to put people in categories. So let's say, okay, this person's here and they, they fit there. But when you talk about privilege, nobody has ever one time said to me, you know, you're very articulate for a white guy. Yeah. Right. No one's ever said that to me. Right. Like those, like they're little nuances, right? That we don't even think are racist. Like I would bet you that there's a large majority of people who are going to hear this podcast who have either said or whose family member has said, Jew them down. Like there's yeah. unbelievable, like, yep. like here's, here's another one. Or that, co- cotton picking. Right. E- even just such little slight yeah. things like that like sunny sunny grew up in south dakota and and there was uh i mean a large native american population where she grew up right and and i remember hearing her grandfather when he would see a trashy looking car he would call that an indian wagon right and and i would listen to the way that people talked right in that right. environment, and in my mind, I would go, "That is so racist." Yeah, and to them, they're all drunk and depressed Indians. Yeah, yeah. It's just this yeah. whole. But that but, was cultural. But nobody's to them. owning that the that the reason why they have generations of drunkenness and depression is because we killed their people and took right. their. We land. looted like <laughs> we looted their land. Yeah, I would never right. resort to looting. Right. But the whole American, right. or it's either the, they have they, they have no money and they're drunk and depressed, or they have casinos that we all gamble at and spend money there. But I, you know, I wouldn't. Again, it goes back for me yeah. to go back to being lazy. So it's easier for me just to group people together yeah. and just make assumptions about them. We don't have to spend any time with them. Yeah, I have to work it through. So well, that's what we well, do. Well, it's the, the same. It's like uh, you know, I I responded to one of the things online last night because I to an, you know another messianic rabbi because I just said, look. Yes, there are people and the organization is anti-Israel and pro-Palestinian, which is also a choice you don't actually have to make. Mm-hmm. You could be pro-both. Um, but uh, it's complicated, but you, but you can attempt to be pro-both. And I just said it's – but that being said, it can't stop us from using the sentence, Black Lives Matter, mm-hmm. because they haven't and they do. Yes. And they should matter to us as Jews – Mm-hmm. Because we want to know what it's like to be slaves. And we know what it's like. We celebrate it every year on Passover that God set us free from slavery. Um, and, and we, you know, there's, there's a relationship. We can't just throw out the concept because an organization of the same name that kind of created the term yeah. 
um, it, we don't like some of their stances. He's, yeah. I want the last word on this before we break. Because as you were talking about Black Lives Matter, I, like, I don't know enough about Black Lives Matter. Matter Incorporated or LLC or, mm-hmm. you know, NPO or whatever. I don't, I don't yeah. know enough about that, but I do know enough that I need to think Black Lives Matter. Yeah. And that's the difference that I can make. Yeah. Right. And we got to do that on, on a one-on-one table talk by table talk. Sorry about that. Um, you know, conversation that that's where the difference that I can make. I'm not important enough to make a difference in Washington. I don't think I'm important enough to make a difference globally, but I know for sure that I can start fixing who I am today. Anyway, we're going to get back together for another episode where we're going to start getting to some of the questions that we headed out. We've been through four of the actual questions uh, that we were supposed to talk about in this podcast. Uh, so we're going to, uh, we'll catch up next time uh, where we talk a little bit more about that. I want to get back to that one question we asked at the end of last episode of who did Jesus hate? I want to talk about that for a second. Um, and then I also want to talk about, um, I also want to talk, get back to talking about have, has the American church whitewashed history and have we whitewashed Christianity? I want to talk about that. That's where we're going to lead with next time we get back together. Thanks for joining us. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share with someone that you think would benefit from it uh, or subscribe. Uh, we'd love to have you as part of our community. Talk to you next time. <laughs>